O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king our shield. Show favor to the one you've anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those that do, for those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Thank you, Charlie and Laura Mays. Uh, it's sad. We're losing this wonderful family. Uh, they are, what, another month with us or so? And then they're heading down to Houston, Texas. Charlie's been doing uh, postdoctoral research at the university. And uh, not sure exactly what you've been doing, but I'm, it's exciting, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> for you. <laughs> probably something to do with math. It's probably not too exciting for me. <laughs> but blessings as you find a new spot in Houston, Texas. Keep your American accents wonderful. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord, ah, thank you for this morning. We're here to worship you. You know our hearts. You know what's going through our minds today. You know the week we've had. You know our struggles. You know our pain. You know we've had some mountaintop experiences too. And it's all mixed together in this thing called life. And we're so glad that you are the life giver and the lover of our souls. And we ask that you'd help us open our minds to your word this morning, this passage that Charlie and Laura has read for us. It's a beautiful passage. But, oh God, may you speak through your word that you inspired years ago. May it be illuminated to our hearts today so that you may be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we were just minutes from uh, beginning to make our descent into Tel Aviv. Mark and I were just months away from graduating from seminary. Flying LL Airline 747 with scores of people returning to their beloved homeland for a visit or to stay. Some of the robed Orthodox Jewish priests stood to their feet as the plane began to enter Israeli airspace. Stern warnings from the captain, please be seated. You get half the plane standing up. It's not a good thing. Please be seated, he said. Uh, his warnings went unheeded as these homesick people bowed and physically turned their bodies and their minds to the city of Jerusalem. For a moment, the plane became a place of worship. And after being undeterred for five minutes, all who were standing gradually took their seats and anxiously awaited touchdown 
in the land of their ancestry. After regaining our composure, Marg and myself and the rest of the seminary students, uh, this this spontaneous outburst of national pride, we smiled at one another. Whoa, what a trip we are beginning to start. And we thought in ourselves, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, here we come. What an experience. But there is another story that has captured the hearts of people through the years. And it too finds its focus in Jerusalem. And it captures all the emotions and the passion of people whose hearts are homesick. They're thrilled to be on a procession. They're headed to to the heart of what is the very most important thing in their lives. By the way, I just read that next year one of our profs from Taylor is leading a group of students on a 318-kilometer pilgrimage from one city to another in the country of Spain. I don't know how to pronounce the names of those cities, but they're 318 kilometers apart. And it's a class on spiritual formation. Sounds like quite a course. Anyone want to sign up? The pilgrimage is 318 kilometers. Now, that's quite a walk. I don't know if they're walking. I assume they're walking. They've got to be walking if it's a pilgrimage. Maybe they're biking. Surely wouldn't be fair to take a train on a pilgrimage. But no, these were the, the glory days years ago. Perhaps in the days of uh, King Solomon. Perhaps when the glory of Jerusalem was at its peak. And dignitaries came from all over the world to behold the amazing things that were happening in this country. And to inquire, of course, of King Solomon because he was the wisest man in all the earth. Here was a pilgrimage that had gained a reputation through the years. Certainly maybe not quite 318 kilometers, but maybe close. 100 kilometers, 200 kilometers from every part of the country to the heart of the city of Jerusalem, where the majestic temple stood in all of its splendor. Never again would the temple be constructed with such precision, such beauty, such attention to detail as this very first temple. We refer to it as Solomon's Temple. Solomon's Temple. Every year, crowds would flock to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. They'd make the journey from all over Israel to the holy city to worship at the temple. Their homes might have been a long ways from God's home, but they journeyed nonetheless. They stood at attention as they faced Jerusalem. They marched with passion and joy, with no one instructing them to sit down, please. Their feet were on terra firma, and they loved their journey to the best place on the face of the planet, their own beloved city, and their beautiful temple. And Psalm 84 does a beautiful job of catching their hearts and their homesickness and their longing and their passion. Specifically, Psalm 84 captures the heartbeat of one unnamed pilgrim as he journeys to Jerusalem. Whoever that unnamed person is, We owe a debt of gratitude because they remind us of what is so very important in pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of our souls to find meaning and significance. 
Now, can I save you just a little bit of work in looking at the passage and just tell you there are three major movements within the story, three stories within the story, three major happenings on the pilgrimage, and we'll just give them all a little bit of airtime this morning. But really, it's a very easy story to follow. You won't get lost, honest. Just, just look at it this way. Number one is the journey of homesickness. The writer wants to get home. He wants to get home. As simple as that is, he just wants to get from his place to the temple. Anybody here want to get home <laughs> to your roots? Met a wonderful family. Not sure if they're here this morning or not. Uh, but they're leaving tomorrow to get home to visit their family in India. Haven't been home for a long time. And uh, they're a little bit homesick to get back to India. Home to parents, home to family, home to roots. This is uh, the desire of theirs to go home for a little bit. Then there's the journey of wonder. We often say, how was your trip? And typically we're quite happy to say it was uneventful, which means normal, no problem, routine, flights were good. But this pilgrimage has some wonder to it. It is eventful. There are some surprises. There are, is some interesting terrain uh, that maybe we never really counted on when we left our home. So there's some interesting things that happen. And we're left spinning. We're left surprised. We're left holding our breath. And then there's the journey of contentment, which is, means the trip is worth it. The journey is deeply rewarding. It's very enriching. It's satisfying. It's well worth the effort. And when you get there, you'll sing it was worth it all. So get your hiking shoes on, and let's start walking. How badly do you want to get there? That's your desire. How prepared are you to trek through difficult terrain? That's the journey of wonder. And how grateful will you be when you actually get there? That's contentment. So the journey of homesickness. Listen to the writer express his heart as he makes his way to the temple courts. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. I say it again. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Did you hear it? This pilgrim's homesick. He's so looking forward to getting to the temple. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. I can hardly wait to get to the temple. I am so pumped to enter into worship and give all that I am and all that I have with my whole being, with my body, with my soul. I'll shout joyfully to the living God. Don't you love those kind of worshipers? Homesick worshipers who long to be with others, who long to exalt the name of the Lord God. Hey, Lord, hey friends, I, I want to say this morning I love it when you worship. I love it when you enter in 
I love it when you come on Sunday morning with homesick hearts. So looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord. I love that. Can you ever remember a time when you were really homesick? I remember one time, first year of college, left home for the first time. Couldn't figure myself out. Didn't feel well. Wasn't eating like I usually do. And I didn't even clue in for a while that I was feeling badly because I was homesick. I'd never been homesick before. I didn't know the feeling. So I didn't recognize I was just homesick. The writer is homesick. He is consumed with the desire to be in Jerusalem. He's even jealous of the little swallows that swoop up and down and fly all over the temple area. He visualizes them building their nests and hatching their young. And there they are, living near to the the altar of sacrifice. And he says in his heart, the swallows have it so good. I would like that. And he longs to be as close to God as they are. Certainly the temple was a beautiful sight. But he's not longing to be there simply because it was such a fine piece of architecture. He's longing to be in God's presence, continuously praising him. He yearns for the living God, the Lord Almighty. He knows him personally. He calls him my king and my God. It's like two lovers who want to go to dinner together. It doesn't matter where they go. What matters is that they're together. The person that you're with is far more important than the place you go. You know there's something wrong in your relationship when the place becomes more important than the person. Can I remind us all this morning of the journey that we're on? I expect you think about this journey a lot. I'm sure you do. That's why you're here this morning. You think of it a lot. In fact, every day, every day, the journey is uppermost in your mind, in your heart. This journey we're on. We're praying about it every day. It's the journey of the soul. And you know, I'm coming to a new appreciation of the word soul. It's the deepest part of who you are. It is the whole person. It is that part of you that integrates all of the rest of you into a single whole life. It's inclusive of your mind and your spirit and, of course, your body. So the soul is who you are as a person. It is inclusive of mind, body, and spirit. And the soul, when it's healthy, is homesick for God all the time. The soul, when it's healthy, is homesick for God. Years ago, my parents used to tell me that the blizzards were so bad in the winter season that it was difficult to get from the barn to the house, maybe even just a thousand yards. But they used to have complete whiteouts. The winters were harsher years ago. So they would run a, a, a rope from the house to the barn so no one would get lost in the, in the blinding wind and snow and not be able to find their way home. There are blizzards in everyday life that can bring lostness 
and aloneness to our lives. There's that thing called fear. There's that thing called anxiety. There's that thing called the lack of integrity. There's deceit. There's that thing called indifference, apathy in life. There's that thing called addiction. There's some of the storms that prompt us to lose our way. And getting from start to finish, we get lost. And our souls can lose their moorings. And we do a lot of things to try to hold on to the rope. But it seems like we have come to believe that we are better off dealing with self than soul. We've learned to try to fix the self. That's what all our books about on the shelves these days. Fix the self. Improve ourselves. And we've learned a lot along the way. It's not bad. There's some great tools out there. But sometimes we've missed the rope because we've neglected the soul. It is good to take care of yourself. It is good to believe in yourself. It is good to fulfill yourself. But it is much better to go to the temple, to go to Jerusalem, to get to God. And to find Him to be the satisfying source of all the good things for our lives. To take care of the soul more than the self. I think there must be an amen out there. Got three or four or seven. It's growing. I think if you take care of the soul, you'll have the best tools to look after the need for affirmation. The need for validation. The need for encouragement. The need for value in your life. The need for justice. The need for personal rights. Because your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. And he becomes the healer of your life. And when we give due attention to the soul, it doesn't mean that we neglect the practical things of life, like career or health, thinking perhaps, well, those are separate compartments. They don't, they don't affect anything I have to do with God. The soul lies at the center of them all. It is our approach. It is asking the right question. The question is not so much, how can I be successful at work? But how can I journey with God? In my work. How can I be a kingdom builder where he's put me? Amidst some of the stress at work, at play, families, etc. In fact, your soul can be all right when everything in the world is all wrong. So are you ready for the question? That sounds like a business meeting. I didn't mean that. Where we vote... Well, the question is, how's your soul? No, really. Is there a longing for God in your heart? That's my question. Is there a longing for God in your heart? Do you feel homesick for Him? If you've gotten yourself preoccupied and distracted, do you feel it right away in your soul? I'm missing time with God. I'm missing worship. I'm missing the closeness. I'm missing the intimacy. How is your soul? Can I give you a few filters? 
to check out how your soul is doing, to check to see if I become a little bit distracted. On your journey, for example, do you think about money a lot, as in getting more of it? Do you, do you ever fantasize about winning the lottery or coming into a big inheritance? Do you have a mental wish list of the things I'd like to buy if money were no object? Do you find every day my focus is my bank account? Nervous about it or grateful that it's growing? Are you there? Used to be there? Moving past it to say, I'm moving on from that. Or stuck. This is where I live every day. How to get more of that stuff. How to get more of that stuff. Or how about this one? I sacrifice family for career. But I have a reason. I figured that if I work real hard now, I'll make enough money, be comfortable enough financially to slow down later, and spend more time later with the people I love and the people in my family. And I'll just do that later. I'll get everything ready here, and I'll take care of that later. Are you there? Used to be there? Moving past that? Or stuck? That's where I am every day. Some of the people I love the most get the short end of the stick. Or, if my doctor told me I had to give up certain things in my life for my health, like alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, even red meat, sugar, caffeine, all because it was putting my health in jeopardy, I would not want to do that. In fact, I would likely not tell anyone so they wouldn't hold me accountable. Are you there? Moving through that? This is what I deal with. Some real health issues that could be turned around. They could be turned around. Is it a soul issue? Yes, it is. It's a soul issue as much as it is a physical, bodily health issue. Just a thought. What the soul needs more than anything else is God. A deep homesickness for God. You homesick? Maybe saying, actually, I wish I was more homesick than I actually am. I've gotten used to an unhealthy soul. I have gotten used to an unhealthy soul. The soul needs God more than anything else. We may try to fill that need with uh, other things, but the soul will never be satisfied without God. The writer of the psalm experienced that too. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. So, first of all, here's this pilgrimage. And it's the journey of homesickness. The pilgrim is making his way to Jerusalem, excited to get to the temple. Not because of the temple, but because it represents God's wonderful, wonderful presence. How homesick are you? Secondly, the journey of wonder. The road to the temple sometimes leads through the valley of weeping or the valley of Baca. Sometimes the journey is eventful. I don't need to raise that as a question. Is it eventful? Because for almost all of us, Without exception, 
It is a reality. How many here today are going through the valley of weeping? So visualize, if you will, this pilgrim making his way to Jerusalem. He's moving along. Things are well. His heart is joyful. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But yes, now they come to a part of the pathway that leads through the valley of weeping, through the valley of Baca. Is this metaphorical? Some say, well, actually, there is a place, a valley of Baca. Others say, well, you ought to see that in a metaphorical sense because it's very much a part of every life. Wherever you live, there seems to be a Baca. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. And I love the phrasing of the New International Version. It says, they will go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This is in the valley. They will go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. It's like exercise. The more you engage, the stronger you get. From strength to strength. If you don't get out there and exercise, you get weaker and weaker. But you get out there, you move, you move, you exercise a little. The next day you're a little stronger. The next day you're a little stronger again. And the next day you're a little stronger again. Like overcoming a personal struggle, an attack with, uh, win a battle, and you get stronger. You win that one battle and say, ah, I can get that. You win it again, and you win it again, and you get stronger. You know, it's a blessing to finally get to our destination. But there's also a blessing on the road. There's blessing on the road through the valley of weeping. doesn't always feel that way as we're passing through. A man told me years ago that the greatest blessing is in being broken. And I nodded my head, but not my heart. But when brokenness came to my life, then I discovered that what he said was true. There is blessing on the road. And we grow stronger. We move from strength to strength. The road through Baca helps form us and shape us. There is no other road like it. John Ortberg has written a book, a new book out, called Soul Keeping. John Ortberg. And he dedicated it to his friend Dallas Willard, who passed away last year. When Mark and I were away last week, or the week before, I guess, I read the book, and it really encouraged my heart. Amidst the hectic pace that John keeps as he pastors a church, uh, he went to Dallas Willard to inquire of how he could have a sane, well-ordered life and how he could help his congregation to grow, and I'm paraphrasing. Willard said this, You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. John said, huh? John said, I, I, no, I'm really, I'm asking you, how do I help our congregation to grow and to be committed? Willard said, John, I know what you're thinking. But that's not what they need most. The main thing you will give your congregation 
Just like the main thing you'll give to God is the person you become. If your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. John said, well, I try to have my quiet time. Willard responded, it's not the 15 minutes of quiet time I'm talking about. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in the everyday life you have with God. It doesn't mean you are completely adequate in all you do, but you bring your best, and you're confident in God. And this is what makes a soul healthy. And it isn't your wife's responsibility, or your elders, or anyone else. You are the keeper of your soul. And sometimes in walking through the valley of weeping, we recognize anew that I have a choice. I have a choice with this valley. I can go from weakness to weakness, or I can choose to go from strength to strength. I can be the keeper of my soul and trust God through the valley, or I can grow alienated and edgy and hard to live with. I have a choice. I've never run a marathon. But there are probably some among you that have. In fact, I know you'd be shy to put up your hand and walk up and around, but would you just pop your hand up just a little bit if you've run a marathon? Oh, I've got a few out there. Yes, we do. Now, some of you are not putting up your hand that I know I've run a marathon. Men or women who run marathons drink a great deal of water on the way. Yet, have you ever seen one of those guys or gals stop at the water station, have a little chat? Ah, they grab a cup, chug it down, throw the cup away, and hardly break stride. Their purpose and pilgrimage is set. Their direction is set. Their heart is focused on where they're going. When we face difficulties, when we walk through the valley of Baca, and it never seems to end... What will keep us going in the right direction? Certainly the Holy Spirit must do a work in our lives. He's the one who gives us a homing instinct for God. It's found in verse 5. Blessed are those who have, whose strength is in you. Or what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Did you see that? Who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They've set their minds. They've set their minds on a marathon. They've, and when you're running a marathon, it's a lot about the mind. They've set their minds on a pilgrimage. Clear vision of where you're going. And a lot of dependence. It's dependence. It's a walk of faith. It's God-reliance more than self-reliance. It is moving from strength to strength. It is moving from hill to hill. It is moving from valley to valley. So in every life, there is a journey of wonder. Wonder may be a soft term. 
if you're in the valley of weeping right now. But it is a reminder that there are some surprises along the way. And we all have unique, eventful journeys. How eventful is your journey? And how's your soul these days in the valley? And then finally, the journey of contentment. If you've been reading this book for a while, you'll recognize some familiar words. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. We recognize that right away. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. I know that sometimes we misinterpret this and think that if we open the doors out there, if we're, we're good doorkeepers and we let somebody in carrying a box, and I'm not sure that that's the, that's the message here. But in verses 9 to 12, the section is cast as the pilgrims arriving at, at his destination, and everything he imagined about being in the presence of God is there and more. Have you ever thought about being in the presence of God in the future? Now is good, but wait until you get to heaven. The presence of the Lord is around us today. On this beautiful day, and isn't it a, isn't it a beautiful day? It is a gorgeous day, and I'm so glad you came to church today. I mean, you didn't give it a thought, did you? First thing up in the morning, I'm going to church. I'm not going to the park. I'm not going golfing. No, first thing was, let's get to church. You're awesome. I read this statement this week, and it brought a smile to my heart. It's written by N.T. Wright, who's a very well-known scholar in our day, and he's making a real difference in his writing and his interacting today. I'm not sure if it's on, it is on the screen. There's all the difference in the world between waking up in a single bed and waking up in a double bed with nobody on the other side. Many in our Western culture may be atheists or agnostics, but they still find themselves wondering why the other side of the bed still feels warm and the sheets a little rumpled. Isn't that good? And I think this is true in ways that were not the case even 10, let alone 30 years ago. Oh, yes. The evidence of his presence is all around us. So noticeable today on a beautiful day. We can choose to ignore it or to re-explain it. But look around. The sheets are a little rumpled. A beautiful day is a reminder of God's presence. He's the author He's the creator. Yes, and one day we will arrive at our destination. And you know what? It'll be better than you ever imagined. The writer is saying he wouldn't trade one day in God's presence for anything on earth. What if somebody gave you a free ticket to Hawaii or one of the Mediterranean beaches or the most beautiful spot on earth that you would ever like to, to, to visit? Sounds good. Yet he says, I'll just take one day, I'll just take a day in your courts above any of that. Are your children just at the stage where they're asking, why? Why, 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 Dad? Driving in the car with the kids in the back seat. And they're asking, why is the flower red? Yeah, why is is the sky so blue? What makes the car go so fast? Where do babies come from? Oh, that's a tough one. 
All those fascinating questions. The disciples used to ask Jesus lots of questions. Sometimes they asked, Hey Jesus, what do you mean in a little while? Maybe Jesus got tired of the questions. I doubt it. It's the question of every human heart as we travel the road from here to our final destination. I love it when you get off the plane. I heard it again just a week ago. Welcome to Edmonton, or if this is your home, or wherever your final destination may be. Love it when they say that. Or wherever your final destination may be. But yeah, it's through the valley of Baca, on to our destination, that we have a ton of questions. Hey, Jesus, why does this little boy have cancer? Hey, Jesus, why do hungry children keep walking out of Central America looking for a new home in the United States or even Canada? Hey, Jesus, why do these men, these soldiers, walk about freely taking city after city on their way to Baghdad? Why are they allowed to kill at random? Hey, Jesus, why does my child reject me? Hey, Jesus, why did my marriage fall apart? Hey, Jesus, why did I lose all this money in a business deal gone wrong? Jesus said one day in a little while, in a little while, that's enough. Things won't be right for a while. You'll see terrible things, hunger and illness and war and injustice and violation of rights and corruption and Every gate scandals. And then in a little while, it may seem like eternity to you, but it won't be long. I'm coming back. And Psalm 84 says, the Lord says, I will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Would you close your Bible? Would you bow your head with me for a moment? For just a moment. You ready for the journey? Life is a journey. How often we say that. And how true it is. Have you started the soul journey toward God? The first step, and and the vitally important step, is to actually... Start the journey. Are you on the journey toward God? Toward knowing Him and loving Him and serving Him? How do I get started on the journey? By saying yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I do believe you love me. And I do believe you died for me. And you have forgiven my sins. And I give my life to you. I say yes to you. I start the journey. Have you started the journey? Do you want to start that journey? Is there anyone here this morning that would love to start that journey? I'd love to start that journey with Jesus. I need to start that journey. Have you started? Are you going through Baca these days? The Valley of Weeping? And the parched ground seems dry and life-draining, but the Holy Spirit comes and refreshes your desert. 
He'll help you move from strength to strength. You will grow increasingly strong in the desert. And one day your weeping will turn to joy. In a little while. In a little while. And if you need some encouragement this morning, there's a place of prayer uh, kept here at, on my right at the end of the service. Someone would love to pray with you. Perhaps you're in the valley of weeping. To help you move from strength to strength, we're moving through the valley. Well, Father, this morning, thank you for the journey, for the cards that you've given to each of us to play out. Oh, help our hearts to be homesick for you day in and day out. May you be the first one on our mind, not the last one. Would you forgive us for all of our distractions and bring focus to our, our hearts and our lives? And those who are here this morning that are in a tough place, in a tough valley, would you come to their rescue? Would you refresh them today? Would you hand them a glass of water today to encourage their soul? Would you renew them as they journey with you? When we thank you, Lord, for bringing us today to walk with you, to be renewed in you, and to bring you our best. In Jesus' name, amen.